The 100% Wild Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the nation's number one GPS hunting app. Download today in the Google Play and App Store. Hey, hunting junkies, and welcome back to another spine-tingling episode of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. I'm one of the spine-tinglers, Tim Chelsvick. <laughs> I don't know what parts I'm tingling, but <laughs> I'm Matt Drury, the other co-host. Just spines. It's the only thing you'll get tickled here on this show. Thank God. <laughs> so, hey. Here's what I want to start well, out. You know, with. I, we we have to also mention that we're proudly brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. That's right. We can't do forget. Have to, we do have to proudly mention shirt. that. That's right. You're representing today. I love this shirt. There are some <laughs> shirts that you get that are crappy, cheap. Yeah, and you just can tell straight you just, cotton. Is, yep, yeah. You don't want to wear them. But this is a I like like the cut of this jib. Well, it's, you were going to say you like it. You don't have to say it. No, it's what I was going to say is that's going to cost them extra. Right. <laughs> a personal endorsement. Wow, that came from Tim Chelsvick. Big deal. Well, I wanted to start out with a little bit of news. And this news comes from my home. I finally received my elk from that I shot hey. in northern Utah at Wild Country Adventures back in... 2017, I think it was like early October. And, uh, and I had it mounted out there. And then once they finished it, I just ship, you know, ship it back here to the St. Louis area. And dude, it's, it's awesome. It's a massive, what did it end up scoring? It went three thirty. Okay. Yeah. It was a three thirty bowl. And, um, you know, I'm sure these guys will link to the the video because there's a video up on YouTube for it or whatever. But it was it was a cool, it's a cool mount. I've never obviously that was the first duck I ever shot, mm-hmm. so I have never had any mount that was bigger than a a deer head. It's a little bigger than a deer it, head. oh my gosh. So you know, I, I I was trying to figure out where to put this thing, and and I have a two story home, and in this in the house when you walk in the front door, it's kind of a I guess vaulted ceiling mm-hmm. kind of a sure. look where, but you look, you know, the steps are right there. So you go up the steps and then you see the second floor, like hall mm-hmm. and a banister that kind of looks down on it. And it's really the only option I wanted to bring it here to the studio, but that we just didn't have anywhere that it would work or sure. fit. Except and, for my office. And yeah. And this is where cool. all my other mounts are because my wife wears the pants and our family. And <laughs> that is a delicate so it, it, conversation to have yeah. where the mounts are going to go. Yeah. So either at my house, they can go in the basement, which is fixed up, but no one actually goes into our, sure. yeah, it's my man cave that I'm not quite a man in. It's got all <laughs> the kids earned junk. It yet. It's yeah. there. So I, I, I'd like to put it somewhere where I could see the dang thing. Yeah, that makes sense. So I right away to my wife's credit, when I killed the the bull, she said, uh, I was like, she's like, are you getting mounted? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Duh. You know? And she's like, well, where were you thinking of putting it? And I was like, I'm, this is going in the house. And she's like, yeah, that's cool. She never said, like, I think she was as excited as I was when I killed it. Okay. And then she, I held her to it. <laughs> like, so I held her to her word. And, uh, so, you know, we got th- these two walls and, and then the wall that is on top of the, do- you know, on uh, the above entryway the door, door. The entry yeah. door. Mm-hmm. And, I was going to put her on one of the sidewalls and it's kind of like where all our family photos were. And she was not really happy about this. This elk big, is not I mean, a part of our family. Yeah. I mean, she basically looked at it like it was a cow or a horse or, you know, it's like when it, when it came in this box, it's a major award. She's like, holy crap. It's huge. You know? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, it's huge. It's fragile. And on so, the yeah. So she, she was like, I think it, it, and she had been saying this before I got it, but she was wanting to put it above the door. I think that I thought it was super weird because, 
because you come in a door, an entryway door, and then you look up and this freaking head upon. And then not only that, but you slam the door or whatever. And, and just, that's <laughs> just, I'm not the best, you know, at, at hanging <laughs> things work. as my yeah. wife likes to remind me of. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so I, I had kind of resisted that, but ultimately it was the best place to put it just by the way the architecture of this house was, it was the best spot for yeah. it. So my uh, brother-in-law, Ryan, and I, and I uh, we, we go to hang this thing on Friday and and we get it up there. I only had to put one extra hole in the wall because <laughs> I miscalculated uh, the way that the- You neck, drilled a test hole yeah, pretty much. About, yeah, about two feet. No, actually, I'll tell you exactly how far. 16 inches to the right. <laughs> okay. Because I was trying to hit a stud, stud you know, yeah. and I had a lax screw and I, I wanted to make sure I was right in that stud. It's so. only a problem for the next homeowner. Yeah, exactly. And you're concerned now. So we got that sucker up there and I I, I put the whole iPhone up on the banister on the second floor and like shot a video just mm-hmm. in case we could be one of those really funny fail viral videos <laughs> that's not yeah. funny to the person right. it happens to. And luckily, knock on wood, we didn't need it, but we got it up and and this thing is awesome, man. It It is bad to the bone, man. It's I, cool. You showed me some of the pictures and it kind of looks like you're, you're walking into a lodge. It, it does. Just, it has that vibe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the way that that entryway is, there's a big massive window right above it. So it's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Cause that, the, the, the sun comes up on that side of the house and it's just kind of like this bull is just out there and the sun's shining on them. It's, it's, it's legit. It is legit. So it got me, it got me in the feels, man. It was like, oh, <laughs> I wish I could go back. It's probably a once in a lifetime uh, deal, but maybe not, but man, it, it brought back all the right memories, all the yeah. memories. And, and the first thing I thought of, you know, cause every day now I'm looking at this thing, you can't go down the steps without it staring sure. at you. And we're constantly looking at it and the kids get a kick out of it. They love it. And every time I look at it, it reminds me of, the exact day, the moment, the place. I understand it's only, you know, not even two years old. Mm-hmm. So the m- memory's still somewhat fresh. But then it got me thinking about mounts in general mm-hmm. and why people do it. And that ultimately- we have extra money laying around. Well, that, the, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know I had that much extra money, but luckily I spread it out over two sure. years to pay for that thing. Good but it, it's- it's a thing that it just reminds you, it takes you back to the moments. And I started thinking about, you know, in my office and some of the other deer. And every time I look at one, I think about the moment that I harvested that animal. Completely. And that's, that's what it's all about, right? That's yeah. why one of the reasons why we do it, those memories made in the field and the people you get to share it with and experience it with. And I, it was just a cool, it well, was a cool way yeah, to look back and, on it. And, and, and you think about the legacy involved there because- Cameron or Lola may end up with that mount someday. I, sure. I, I remember when 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 my dad was was still alive, he told me that he shot an eleven point buck. It was probably back in nineteen eighty six or something yeah. in, in Illinois. He's like, I want you to have that someday. That's not something we're going to sell off in a garage yeah. or something. When we need some space in the house. And and I know that like every time I look at that 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 mount, I think of my dad yeah. and that hunt and him coming home with it in the back of the pickup. Yeah. And I was just like a little kid, so it's just like it's worth the tax. Good taxidermy is expensive. Yeah, but it's always worth it. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, I just wanted to share that. It's fresh on my mind. I wanted to share it. And there was a point to the story, not just me humble bragging <laughs> that I got my shot a huge ball. elk. I don't know what you shoot, Tim. <laughs> and hey, by the way, go click the link and watch <laughs> watch the video. And above and beyond all that, I, and the point of the story was the the really the purpose behind, you know, the obsession with people 
you know, having mounts or even if it's a European mount or whatever it is, it's just the memories. It's thinking back on that time and, and place. So, And there's a whole, we'll get into this some other time. There's a whole psychology around the meaning and symbology behind antlers and horns. And, I look forward to going into and that. And it gets, more. it gets biblical. Gets deep. We'll, we'll do that. Does it get sexual? Point. With you, it probably would. <laughs> Why say it with me? You're the one that's always got your mind in the <laughs> gutter. Blame, blame it on me. <laughs> we should probably bring get some your order. Mind, yeah, let's get your mind out of the gutter. Let's bring some order. Let's bring our, our guest on board. We are glad to, uh, to welcome Mr. Aaron Gould, one half of the Gould brothers. The uh, better half, I would assume, <laughs> since he's on today. <laughs> Exhibition well, shooters I, I, extraordinary. I did it podcast, right? So I got to be the better brother. That's right. That's and I right, see you yeah. got a mount behind you right now here. So what, what's the meaning behind that one? Uh, it was the first um, buck I actually chased for a couple years and and uh, mature buck that I was able to put my hands on. So that was, uh, name was Topsy, chased him for two years. And that was the only time I ever seen him. He didn't get away. Well, I'm sure he didn't with the y'all shooting ability. Jeez. I don't know if, if, if our listeners and viewers have had a chance to watch these guys, but it is unbelievable the trick shots and the talent and, and what these guys can do with a weapon in hand. And it really doesn't matter what kind of weapon. They're just really, really they're good. With, they're dead on with all of them. <laughs> well, we like to have a lot of fun. You know, we go all over the country performing live exhibition shows or trick shooting shows. Um, we just are down in Missouri this last week and uh, got we've been in Florida and just all over the country. So, and then the other thing that we do is we do uh, online content for brands in the outdoor industry. So we're primarily known for our shotgunning, um, but we're willing to pick up a bow or an air gun or whatever. If it shoots a projectile, we're ready to shoot it and have some fun with it. I had a chance to meet these guys in person over in Alton, Illinois last summer. Dude, what are they like? Yeah. Well, they're, you know, they're just okay as people, but they're shooting a bill. No, they, they, no, they were great guys. And the, the, the cool part was we, this was a thing for Winchester. It was a Winchester summit, Winchester mm -hmm. ammunition. And, um, and they're a partner of, of, the Gould brothers as well. And, uh, that was when they were telling us about the Winchester 350 legend sure. and it was kind of a top secret deal, but that was day one. Day two, we got to go over to the, um, uh, the shooting range, mm -hmm. uh, at, was it at Nilo or where were we? Nilo. Yeah. Nilo. And, um, it, watching these guys, Nilo it, just Olin spelled backwards. I think so. Isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was that a smart aleck comment or was that true? What should I say? Well, okay, whatever. <laughs> so anyhow, anyhow, these guys were shooting. We had the ability. They had all kinds of different, you know, trap shooting and what, whatever. They had all mm -hmm. these things that we could do. And there was probably, I don't know, 30 of us there. And there was a couple of their professional shooters and, and then, you know, the Gould brothers. And it was a clinic <laughs> that these guys were putting on. And it was dad and I. So we're probably talking about the two weakest link of the four juries when it comes to shooting. And uh, so dad elected to pass and he, he's, you know, he's old. So he's got shoulder issues and sure. all that stuff. He's, so. he's got an excuse. Yeah. He's got a legitimate excuse. I actually had to participate and wah, wah, wah. <laughs> dude, you want to talk? I, I I may have shot Clay probably three times in my life. Uh -huh. Talk about humbling when you're a hunter that only pulls out a gun the week before gun season mm -hmm. or the day before gun season. <laughs> so twice and, a year, yeah. basically, and then watching these guys put on this clinic, it's unbelievable the talent these two have. 
Unbelievable. It's, I mean, when, when I watch you guys and, and, and obviously you, your videos were, are being featured in DeerCast, it really feels like the, the weapon, whatever it is, is just an extension of you. Like where you look is where the projectile is going to go. Is that like, how did, what does it take to get to that point? Well, I mean, when you're doing trick shots or you're doing anything well, what you spend your time practicing and doing day in and day out mm-hmm. is what's really good at. You know, so, I mean, if it's hunting big deer, like the Drury's are doing all the time and I'm always jealous of, um, you know, they do it, they live at 365 and they're very good at what they do. You know, we're out playing, I I maybe shouldn't say playing with guns, but (laughs) safely playing with guns. We make safety a very high priority or the highest priority and then comes fun and, and, um, everything else with it. But it's what you do. It's what you practice, you know, um, doing trick shots and setting them up and making videos or performing them live is what we do. Mm-hmm. Well, to, in fact, I just shot a, a pro-am sporting clay tournament when I was down in Branson this last week. And, um, that's not what I do. Am I a bad shot? No, but it's not what I practice day in and day out. In fact, that's the first time I'd shot horizontal targets, you know, for, since last summer sometime. And it takes a little bit to switch the type of shooting that you're doing. So um, you're good at what you do and what you practice. So so maybe back up a few steps. I'm, I'm fascinated by how people end up where they are. So how did you and your brother Steve end up in this in this role where you're traveling the country doing exhibit because it's kind of a dream job for most guys, but I imagine no one just handed you that title and said, here, have fun. Well, there, there, let me see if I can do the short version of the story. I tend to get long winded, but, um, I grew up, I was introduced to hunting from an uncle of Steve and I's. And once I got the bug for hunting, I was just, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. So I started with, uh, rifle hunting for deer and for shooting squirrels and stuff. And then it was on to bows and muzzle loaders and just anything I could possibly hunt waterfall, whatever. Steve didn't have the same opportunities growing up um, and didn't get really into hunting until college. And it wasn't until after both of us graduated college, we moved back to our uh, hometown area and we started shooting and hunting together just because um, now we had something that was that we both had in common before that, you know, I was the outdoors guy and Steve was <laughs> sometimes a little punk running around, getting into trouble, but uh, and not really outdoors uh, orientated. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> we come from a different, different background. But um, anyway, he found a love of the outdoors when he was out in North Dakota, going to college and chasing waterfall. So we moved back We started hunting, shooting together. And we were out just practicing one summer. And I was like, look, I remember a few years ago, I saw this video of this guy. I don't remember who his name was, but he was shooting with the gun over his head and behind his back and from the hip. And I honestly didn't believe it was real because I was a pretty good shooter. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a hunter. I can hit anything. Right. Um, that was a little bit of an exaggeration, but uh, we we're just going to let you go with it, but whatever. <laughs> but basically I'm, I'm, looking at this video and going, dude, that no one, no one can shoot like that. It's hard enough to shoot from the shoulder. Well, we started playing with some of these shots while we were out um, shooting. And at first it was just, well, can I 
hit a one clay with the gun upside down over my head. Mm-hmm. And um, it just became addicting that we wanted to do it all the time. And before long, we weren't practicing hunting shots. We were practicing these exhibition shots or trick shots, shooting from different positions on our body or throwing one, two, three, four clays up and trying to shoot them individually. And then, so we did that for a year or two. And then we found out that the man who I'd saw in this video was going to be just half an hour from our hometown performing an exhibition. And that man's name was Tom Knapp. And so we went over, we watched his live show. And let me tell you, seeing their first exhibition show was for us was just amazing. Tom Knapp was a great showman, a great shooter. And and we both walked away from that, met up a couple of days later, and we were we both looked at each other and said, that's what we want to do. Mm. And so we were both fairly newly married at the time. This was around 2009. To other people? <laughs> to, to other people, oh, yes. So we have last name the same. <laughs> Said they came from different backgrounds. <laughs> Follow along, Tim. <laughs> Silly me. <laughs> We grew up in the same house. We are real brothers. But <laughs> you can just tell us to shut up anytime. Shut up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, um, so we got back together. We said, this is what we want to do. And so we went to our wives and we said, honey, we've got a plan. We're going to take three years and see where this dream leads us. And our wives graciously said, see ya. Hey, no, no, they didn't say see ya. They said, okay, you have fun. Um, I think it helped that we put a limit on it. Like we're going to shoot for this crazy dream for three years though. That's not a short amount of time. Well, I was going to say like to make money and still pay the bills you yeah. know, after three months, you're pretty much cow. <laughs> need to get, get with it. Yeah. Uh, well, that's just it. We had to work full-time jobs while we were working on things. And, you know, we didn't know anything about the outdoor industry sponsorships. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Um, so long story short, um, we performed our first show in 2010 for two cases of ammunition. And it was, we were probably overpaid for that first show. Um, Hold on. Wait, well, we got to go over. I thought you were going to say two cases of beer, I thought so too. <laughs> which makes sense. <laughs> These two things do not mix. Not quite, just two cases of shells. So, um, but after that three-year period, we had uh, Winchester just came on board, and we were starting to develop partnerships with some of the national companies in the outdoor industry. And um, the rest is kind of history. We both a few years later went full time um, in in our business, and uh, but it, but it was a struggle. You know, there there was yeah. times in those years that uh, I'd leave work on Friday, go do an event. Saturday, Sunday, get dropped back off at work uh, mm-hmm. on Monday morning. Never mm-hmm. even go home. Just throw the same work clothes back on and go back to work. So um, it, it was definitely a lot of work, but it's rewarding when you do have to work so hard for something. Just like, you know, these guys up here that, you know, some it it's just rewarding when you have to struggle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes it that much sweeter. When and and a lot of people that you know people that that instantly come into a lot of money or or retire, th- they look back and they say the most fun I had was during the fight, like during the struggle, the scrapping and clawing every day to make something work. I, you know, now that I'm made, quote unquote, I, it's everything has kind of lost its luster. Mm. 
but you guys aren't slowing down. I mean, you're, you still, I mean, you're out there touring and, and doing appearances and getting booked. I mean, that's, it sounds like a pretty hectic life schedule. Well, there, there is a lot of travel involved. Our, our season's primarily say March to November. Mm-hmm. Um, it's stretched out a little bit the last few years and it's making hunting the rut in Minnesota a little bit more difficult. You got to take those days when you can, right. but, um, you know, we're on the road. We do about 25 to 30 live events every year. And in between that, we're filming uh, for YouTube and, and different uh, projects for sponsors. So we stay very busy during the the, the short, warm months in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, and that's this year, it's really short. <laughs> Is it well, still a spring I, sprung up there yet? Uh, it's pretty nice. It's about 60 degrees today. So, hey. uh, it, yeah, it's the winter or late spring is just kind of drug on this year. I know there's a lot of farmers that wish they had their fields in and I'm even looking at my schedule along with temperatures and like, I hope I can get some food plots in here. So we'll see. Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate about what you and your brother do is that you, you show kind of the heart of, of folks who own firearms, um, down to earth, salt of the earth, responsible, fun loving. And, and, and I don't think that's always the media's portrayal of those of us who own guns. It's like vilified. Yeah. The black helicopters, the preppers, like people who are just dying to use their gun in some terrible way. That's, I don't know anyone like that who owns a firearm. That's like a media trope that they put out. But here you and your brother are traveling the country in a a fun and safe way, showing people that these are simply tools. And and I'm kind of curious, what's your experience been with when, when you, you book someplace and they find out, well, you're, you're using firearms and there's guns involved. How do you deal with that in a culture that is so that feels like like firearms are such a, a taboo topic. Well, it, it's kind of interesting. Most of the people that actually book us obviously know what we do. And so, the, and we're going into outdoor themed events or we do a lot of corporate events uh, for corporate clients, entertaining their top customers and things like that. But um, so it's usually a pretty open environment that we go into, but when we go into public events, and especially when we're traveling with firearms through the airports and stuff, you get a lot of funny looks. And unfortunately, the narrative that's out there from a lot of the national media sources is um, they're vilifying, like you said, mm-hmm. gun owners. And most of us are average, ordinary people that are respectful, that are handling our firearms safely. And, and you know, the shooting sports – and, and firearm-related hobbies are some of the safest as far as injury statistics out there. And I think, unfortunately, there's just that narrative that's trying to villainize and mislead people that aren't around firearms. Because if you've lived in New York City and never been around a firearm, all you know is what the media and, and those right. sources are telling yeah. you. And frankly, they're lying to you. It's, it's, they're either lying or they're ignorant and neither are, neither are excusable. 
Um, but the reality is it's out there. And so we are left to deal with it and pick up the pieces and, and, and do the best we can to prevent, to, to provide a winsome argument and a, and a face for, for gun owners in America. And that's what I was going to say. I mean, it's up to, you know, outdoorsmen and women to kind of be a voice of reason, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, you know, I had a buddy that, uh, from, from college that not, not around guns ever, doesn't really know anything about it, not a hunter. And he, you know, he texted me and he's yeah, after what, I forget which of the last, you know, major violent yep. things in America. I don't remember. It was probably a year ago or so. And maybe in the last school shooting. And, and he says, I don't understand why you would need to own an AR. And I'm like, well, I own an AR and it's my right to. And and I was like, all right, I can't take this approach. I need to let him know that it's not just for violence, you know, like, you know, and talk to him about the calibers and talk to him about it's really, you know, not that mean of a gun. It's just the fact that you could fire a bunch off, you know, in a short amount of time. So my seven year old daughter deer hunted with this past year. Surprisingly, uh, not surprisingly, I shouldn't say that a lot of people's kids, hunt with an AR platform yeah. because it, there's not as much two, two, recoil three. really a two, right. two, three. So I tried explaining all that and it, it falls on deaf ears really for the most part. And, and then I thought to myself, you know, I need to educate myself more so I can have a more educated art, not argument, but mm-hmm. point of view back to him because he doesn't know anything but what he saw in the news, which is all bad, yeah. literally all yeah, bad. It is. There's not one good point to have an, <laughs> one good reason in the media for owning an AR. And and w- one thing that that we can do when when people ask us questions like that is is within that question they're making an assumption. The assumption is an assertion that guns are bad, guns are the source of violence. And so we don't have to make the case. They're essentially making the case by the question they ask and you can just say, "What makes you ask that question?" Yeah, it was interesting going down that rabbit hole, and it was yeah. a rabbit hole. It was long text after I long text. Can, can only ima- I can only. He hadn't imagine. really talked to me since, and that's probably a year or so ago. It it and, and it is a deeply emotional yeah. because because what they're thinking is, well, you're justifying something, and yeah. that's not. A, but you know, when when there's when there's an incident and people drive a truck into a crowd of people, no one's lining up at Chevy to or you know whatever to to protest. Yeah. So we have to be careful about not owning that argument because we don't hunters don't have anything to do with it. It's that. guilt by association though. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's like, well, you own firearms. You're the only person I know that owns firearms mm-hmm. and you own an AR. Okay. What's, <laughs> why do you think you don't need all these guns? You yeah. know? And that's what it boils down to. It's simple. It's a simple approach, simple minded approach, but that's <laughs> the only thing they it's, know. Yeah, exactly. It's out there. So it's out there. Speaking of rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we had a um we had a listener generated question. So we want to thank Ethan for chiming in and Ethan gives us our question of the day. Yeah, the question of the day is brought to you by Tenzing. Go further, hunt longer, Tenzing. Hi, this is Ethan Sleeman from Stanley, New York. My question is when you're practicing for hunting situations, is there specific things that you do? to basically put yourself in situations? Is there a yardage you focus on? Is there a specific drill or a sequence that you go through or do you just go out and, and just shoot targets? Just just curious. 
Thanks. Ethan, thank you for the question. I love Ethan's question because I always think about this when I think of expert marksmen, whether they're archers or, or firearms guys, uh, riflemen. It just seems like I, I want to know everything that they know so I can carry that over into the into the woods. So, Aaron, what is is there a difference between target shooting and prepping to hunt? It's an interesting question because whether you're shooting targets in, in a target environment or you're getting ready for hunting, it it's not a glamorous answer, but it all boils down to fundamentals um, on the on the shooting side. Mm -hmm. The other aspect is the, is the mental side. So, um, which is even greater than the physical skills of shooting, um, especially in a hunting scenario, like this man is talking and everyone wants that one thing that you should do or whatnot. But if you focus on the fundamentals of, you know, putting the gun upright, being steady, trigger control, and those fundamentals, that's where you need to spend your time when you're out on the range, if you can do those well, then you're going to make the shots within your effective range. Well, now the mental side is actually the little more tricky side because we've all been out hunting and uh, had the old buck fever where our mind starts racing and learning how to control that, whether you're a target shooter or hunter is a big part of getting to that next level as, as a shooter or hunter. I perform in front of live audiences from 30 people to six or 700 people at some events. And you have to learn to control your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, just like when that nice deer steps out, you have to come back to what am I trying? What, what's my focus here? You want to quiet your mind And there's a little thing that I like to do, whether I'm hunting uh, for big game or if I'm going to do one of the more difficult shots in the live show, um, is just take a deep breath, relax, and then laser focus on what I need to do. So I've already made the decision that I'm going to shoot this deer. Now you forget everything else that's going on around you. You've already know it's a safe shot and all that stuff. Now I'm only focused on where's the heart and the right angle and waiting for that opportunity. And and by doing that, you take a lot of that anxiety and stress uh, off of you to make the shot. When I pull the trigger or release the arrow, um, I know inside my heart and mind that it it's a done deal. Mm. You just have that confidence from, from training and doing it. With, with regard to what he's saying, um, or asking in, in setups for training. So focus on the fundamentals, but then something that's nice to do is also to put yourself in a little bit awkward situations where maybe there's um, a high stress. Something you can do is just, you know, do, do some uh, jumping jacks and then sit down and try and make a good hundred yard shot. What that does is it elevates your heart rate kind of like when that big buck steps out and your heart rate elevates and allows you to work on controlling and focusing to make the shot that you need to do. So fundamentals, working on your mental aspect and controlling your emotions when it comes up is going to be the key things to making good shots when you're out hunting. We used to do that to people on dream season. <laughs> yeah. Back in the early days of dream season, we had those competitions. We'd make them run 
hundred yards and then pick up their bow and try to, sh- you know, shoot up a 50 yard shot or whatever, sure. you know, a hundred yard shot. And, uh, it, it is interesting to see what that does to a person and just, you know, about the breathing and all that. And it, it, I always think of a couple things very much like what Aaron's saying here, Jim Tomey, you know, prolific home run hitter, mm-hmm. hall of famer, first ballot guy, obviously been a longtime jury outdoors guy. He always has a phrase. He says, slow the game down. Mm-hmm. You slow the game down. And, and those guys, those, those, home run hitters, they always talk about being able to see literally the stitching on the ball, which is just, you know, a hundred mile an hour fastball. It's unbelievable to even think about it. He always says, slow the game down. And he often says that about deer hunting, you know, whatever the weapon may be. And then Pete Shepley, and I know this is archery oriented, but I think the crossover probably works both ways but he always talks about give your mentally talking about the you know when the big buck steps out the mental side is a whole different Mm -hmm. story he always says give yourself a job you know give yourself you know something to do or focus on something and you won't be focused on on the antlers uh you know and so for me it's always you know because of what we do there's always a couple extra cameras or Mm -hmm. you know these point of view action cameras it's like you know, flipping those cameras on, making sure they're recording, making sure the angle's right, looking at all that other stuff usually helps me take my mind off of the right. excitement level of the task at hand. And, you know, that that's not to say that that practicing and, and the moment of truth is anything to do with that. But sure. at the moment of truth, giving yourself a job does seem to help calm yourself down somewhat. I don't know. Yeah, no, and I, I, I think about my buddy, uh, my buddy Jake. We've been friends since since we were little, and and he enlisted, and uh, we hunted and fished all the time growing up, and squirrel hunted a lot as kids, and and he he told me once he, once he got out, he said, when I was in basic, the, the rifle range instructor, he asked all the, the hunters to raise their hand and he put all the hunters on one side and all the non hunters on the other side. He's like, okay, all the non hunters, you guys are, are going to outperform the hunters on the rifle range, even though this is the first time holding a gun in your hands, because you've not established the bad habits that I huh. know these guys have. Interesting. And it was, it was true. I mean, you think about most of most, hunters, and this is for myself included, we don't really go through any kind of formal formal training. And and even the shooting we do, it it may be, there may be a lot of it kind of episodically, but it's not long-term. It's not ongoing. And you just kind of figure out what works for you. It's once a year. Yeah. The week before, the day before gun season. If you're successful. Yeah. Sometimes (laughs) not even that. And, and so, so, uh, so I, I just wonder kind of Aaron, from your perspective, what, what bad habits do most hunters have, and especially guys that have this self-confidence that I'm a hunter, I've shot before, I, I'm a killer, I know how to use this thing. Because it's two different things, like being able to shoot something, you know, that, that you're, you know, a whitetail or a turkey or whatever, a duck, whatever, and being good on the range. They are vastly different. Or, or having 700 people pay to see you yeah, do something. Well, that's, that's a whole different a, level. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think what you said is okay. I forgot the question. I'll be honest. <laughs> we we rambled. That's kind of our fault. Yeah. So, so the, the, it's the your, your fault. Let's own it. I mean, hundred percent. Right. All right. What bad habits do most hunters have that they maybe don't even realize? 
Um, well, there's two that come to mind. One is that they don't shoot their gun until the day before hunting season. Uh, so they really haven't put in the practice to be a good marksman and to be familiar and comfortable with their firearm or their bow. Um, the other thing is that they're not coachable. And, and you kind of touched on it with what you were just saying there a second ago was people that have been shooting, whether it's just hunting all their life, tend to, I know what I'm doing. And you want to have an open mindset to to the new, somebody telling you how to do something different. Yeah. Uh, because I've seen it many times when I've been at events or something and, and you take some um, somebody that's hunted or shot their whole life and they ask you how to fix something and you try telling them what to do and they're like, they, they've got it figured out. You can take a new shooter and they will actually listen to you and you can put them in the right position and get them hitting targets better than this person that has been hunting or shooting all their life. Mm -hmm. And I will say that women are far better at listening when it comes to coaching than most men. You, you always hear that, whether it's archery, firearms, like I have heard that forever that women and, and children are the easiest to coach up because they will listen. ask for and listen to yeah. directions. What? Guys are not so good at listening or asking for directions. Yep, yep. The guys always have a little bit of an ego. So they're a little bit harder to not everybody. I mean, there's people that are very there's men that are very good at taking uh some correction in this mm -hmm. and that. You definitely got to get past Married that. Married men. <laughs> <laughs> Don't <hit> me. <laughs> and, and, and part of that, I, I think part of what's built into that, and I'm glad you said that, Aaron, is humility. Yeah. If you are so proud that you are the top dog and no one else can teach you anything, well, you're just kind of screwed. But if you're humble enough to recognize that, okay, this person may have a different skill set or higher skills than what I have, I need to learn from them then you, you, you've got, there's hope for you. But I wonder, you know, and Aaron, you might be able to answer this. Are, are some people just not, do they just not have the skill set or ability? Mm. You know, so, um, you know, we were on, on that Winchester Summit deal. We were doing the trap shoot or whatever. Is that the one you're on the course, right? Yeah. Ooh, there's sporting clays. It must've been the sporting, sporting clay one. Cause we were on, you know, it was like different was like, configurations. Yeah, of, exactly. Yeah. And uh, Alan Treadwell was in my group and he's like an Olympic <laughs> former Olympics, like caliber. <laughs> who set these groupings? Dude. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I sucked real let's, bad. Let's, and, let's make man. And so, and so he was, he was great. He was giving all of us really good advice. And I mean, I got, marginally better, but mm -hmm. you know, ultimately I've thought, I wonder if like, is it, is it like the preconceived the bad habits or do I just suck? Is it genetics? <laughs> you know, am I able to get better? <laughs> because it sure didn't seem that way, but it was just one afternoon. <laughs> well, you know, we all have different levels of skill that we're kind of born with. There's a lot of hand-eye coordination that goes into shooting plays, especially out of the air. Um, it's a whole different skill set to shoot, um, say snipers or long range target shooting mm -hmm. with rifles, but it's not as much how much skill you're born with is what you train for, what you prepare for. Um, I have seen a few people that I would like, yeah, you maybe don't have the skill set, but overall, most people, most people can, with the proper training can get quite good at shooting a pistol rifle 
a handgun or a bow. As long as it fits them properly, they've got a good coach, and they're willing to stick with it to get through some of the hard stuff of learning something new. So let's talk about some fundamentals of of shooting, maybe things that, that guys are overlooking or ladies are overlooking when they're out in hunting scenarios. I know you mentioned earlier just shouldering the gun in and of itself. That There's, there's a way to do that, right? Uh, yeah, it depends on if you're talking rifle hunting or shotgunning. Um, let's let, let's go with shotgun because because squirrel seasons are going to start opening up and dove seasons uh, over the summertime. It's probably the closest thing we got coming. Yeah. So one mistake that you see with people mounting the gun, uh, a shotgun in specific specifically, is that they put the gun into their shoulder and then they bring their head down to the stock. What you want to do. I wish I had a gun. I got guns, but they're all boxed up behind me. Um, what you want to do is you want to bring the gun up to your face and then back into your shoulder. And when shooting a shotgun, whether you're uh, uh, when you're shooting aerial targets, it's very important that the gun fits you properly, so, such as length of pull uh-huh. from the trigger to the butt of the gun. And there's other terminology I just won't get into because it's too complex maybe for this, but. The reason it's so important with shotgunning is that your eye is basically the rear sight on a shotgun. And so if it's not placed in the precise spot that it's supposed to be, you looking directly down the barrel, Mm. you're not going to be consistent. And if you don't have a consistent mount putting your head in the same place every single time, you're not going to be as consistent shooting it. Um, it's a little bit different when you're shooting turkeys because you're usually using a sight and you're aiming it. Sure. What we're talking about is more on those aerial, whether you're duck hunting or maybe mo- at a shooting, like shooting anything that's moving. Mm-hmm. More or less instinct shooting. Yes, but it's very important to get that eye directly down the rib at the right height um, to be consistent. And uh you know, we're all made differently. Some of us are longer necks, longer arms, shorter arms, and all that comes into play with a shotgun. So you really want to find a shotgun that's going to fit you well. If you don't, you're not going to shoot it to the best of your ability or capability. And and when you when you look at fit, you're looking at length of pull, but what what other factors are important? Length of pull, the drop it comb, um, Oops, cast. Say that again. I, I'd not heard that before. The drop at comb is basically how far the stock drops from the receiver. Okay. Um, the cast is which way the, the stock is basically bent off the receiver. It's different for left and right-handed oh. shooters. Um, most of your factory guns uh, are going to come with a pretty straight or standard cast. Okay. Um, but those are all things like the the gun industry primarily makes – their firearms for a five nine hundred and sixty five pound male. That's kind of what they're designing them for, and we don't all fit that. And so we we got to find what fits and what works and make those adjustments. Some guns, uh, like the Winchester SX four, you know, you can extend the length of pull um, and different things. And there's some different ways you can change the the uh, drop it comb and stuff using a pad and different things on some of those guns as well i kind of get the feeling like when you're at at cabela's or bass pro and you see folks in the back kind of holding guns and shouldering them that many don't know exactly what it is that they're looking for in that particular instant and, and so 
so kind of knowing knowing what you're looking for going in is probably pretty important, but also the authority of the person there that's that's helping you out. I assume that that's just it. It's nice to have a coach that understands the terminology that can look at how the gun fits you, and then you know can see the problem. Um, I was at an event last spring where we were we did our show, then we were doing some uh, training with uh, some people, and there's a family with three girls that shot trap, and they from what they were telling us shot pretty well, but the one girl was having some issues and it was pretty easy after looking at the gun and her that it just didn't fit her anymore. She had grown out of it. She'd been shooting it for a couple of years and the gun didn't fit her. And uh, with a little bit of tweaking of some things and uh, told her dad, you know what he needed to look for. Um, she was shooting a lot better. She, we actually had her switch a gun that fit her better right there. And then she started hitting the targets you know, so things like shooting over the bird or under the bird can all be a matter of just having your eye placed in the right spot. And if the gun doesn't fit you, it doesn't naturally go there. And that's scary to me because if you don't have a gun fitted for your kids and and it ends up not being a great experience for them because they're you're kind of handicapping them, it could change the trajectory of their hunting life. Like they may decide I can't hit the broadside of the barn. Hunting is not for me. Or, you know. You're putting a weapon that's probably got a little too much umph behind it in their hands and it, you know, just the recoil. I had a close call with Sophie taking her off her turkey season two years ago. I I borrowed a gun from a buddy, a a 20 gauge, and she was just a tiny little thing. He's like, oh, yeah, it'll be fine for her. So I took her and the gun out to the range and I put the first round through it. I was like, this thing kicks like a mule to me. There's no way I, I didn't even have her touch it, but I, I just realized how close I came to terrifying her of guns I, at that moment. I wish you could have spoken with my dad and time traveled back to 1987. <laughs> you got traumatized. <laughs> oh my God. It was probably more like 91. I don't know. It was, it was, they were filming. It was Mark dad and they borrowed a gun from Steve Stoltz, who was a jury mm-hmm. outdoors team member at the time. And they asked him if it kicked. And I don't, and I guarantee if you ask Mark or Terry, they remember exactly what gun it was. I don't know if it was a Mossberg, whatever, you know, I know they used to shoot those a lot because Mark was winning them yeah. back then. And, and Steve back in the Turkey calling contest days, but they, um, I, I was probably 12, 11, 12, I don't know. And they were filming some actual tips and pieces for, it may have been outdoor life or field and stream or one of those deals. They were doing some videos for them and they put me up against a tree. That's probably, you know, an inch and a half, two inches in diameter as my rest. And nobody shot the gun before they let me shoot the gun. And I, you know, I fired a round off in that thing and it, Wrap, basically wrap my oh. shoulder around that little bitty tree and I didn't shoot a gun. It had me so gun shy for, yeah, no doubt. for, for it was years. And finally to get me kind of out of that funk. Cause I was just like, I'm good. I'm not, I don't want to go. I don't want to mm-hmm. go. You know, I was young enough to where it just screwed me up. Sure. And finally Yapper, one of dad's and another longtime jury guy, one of dad's best friends or dad's best friend. And he's like, you should have that boy. You should have that boy shoot a 22, you know? And, and, uh, so they took me back and, and I didn't even want to pull the trigger on that. And I remember, I remember it to this day, vividly, both instances when I shot the gun that Mm -hmm. really screwed me up. And then the first shot through the 22 being so afraid of the recoil and, you know, just, you just, Got to really 
watch out for those things, man. It, it, like to your point, if, if we didn't do what we do for a living, I don't know that I would have come back to it at all. Sure. You know, it's just like, what all right, done. I'm good. I'm good, man. I'll, like, let me shoot the bow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's scary. So it does make sense to, to, to know the fit and make sure you got the right, yeah. the right gun for the right the right frame. I think about that with my wife trying to get her. She did not want to touch the shotgun, but the AR she loves because it has a, a adjustable stock on it yeah. and the kick isn't too bad, but all those things are just so important to how people view and relate to the firearms. Got to be comfortable. Guys, guys, a real important point there is that a person's first experience with a firearm or the outdoors in general is very important. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Matt, you were talking about your friend that, uh, didn't seem too gun friendly. And one of the best ways to get people over that is to take them to the range if they're willing and, and show them a fun, enjoyable time, how safe that can happen. And specifically to to like the young people. Yeah, don't do what so many guys unfortunately did uh, back in the day is like, here's a 12 gauge. Yeah. Now go shoot it to their eight year old boy. And, yeah. No, <laughs> it's not enjoyable. So no, uh, it wasn't. <laughs> I've I've got three boys. Um, the oldest two are six and four, and I've had them shooting a twenty-two. They love it, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And when they're ready, I'll move them up to a, you know, maybe a twenty gauge or, or whatever. And not all twenty gauges are created equal either. Uh, uh, over and under kicks harder typically. I'm I'm kind of just throwing this out there, but an over-under kicks harder than a pump and a pump kicks harder than a semi-auto. So those are some things to keep uh, in mind. Um, when you bring somebody out, make it fun, mm-hmm. make it safe. And when they're done shooting, be done. If it's three, three rounds, if it's one round or if it's 30, let them have fun. And I've been out to events. We've had people come up to us uh, after the event and I can specifically remember a couple ladies that have came up and they were like, I don't like guns. I didn't want to come, but my boys wanted to come see you guys. They had seen you online. Um, and after watching your show and seeing that guns can be handled safely, they're not these big, scary things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a lot more interested. I'm still a little scared. Yeah. I'm still scared, but. I'm willing to look at them in a different light now. And, uh, you know, great. I mean, that person dropped their guard a little bit, lowered those walls a little bit. And now if someone can pick up at that point, bring them out, show them a good time, you might just have another outdoor enthusiast, shooter, or what have you. But um, that's the way you break down those walls and, and introduce people to the outdoors, shooting, hunting, everything. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad, again, I'm so glad you guys are doing that. And there's another, there's another concept to play here. It's, it's called putting a stone in someone's shoe. You give them something to think about. Like you don't necessarily have to win the art, the guns, are they good or bad argument right then and there? Because the reality is you're probably not going to, but if you provide a positive one experience, you put a stone in their shoe, a thought in their head that over time may ruminate and may turn into more acceptance. So that's, 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 that's so great. That you guys are doing that. Thanks. 
So what's what's next for you guys? I mean, I assume that you're constantly trying to push the limits of, of your abilities and, and, and train and, and do the next cool thing or the next big thing. Um, do you are you guys have any shows coming up that you're looking forward to unveiling any new you know tricks or what, what do you have up your sleeve? Well, we've got a few uh, different things that we're putting into the show. Uh, the, some of them are still not quite show ready. You know, what you do on video and what you can do live are a lot of times different. Sure. So um, before we put something into a live show, we're looking at, you know, about a 70 to 80 percent first time attempt uh, that we can complete the shot. Some shows don't always go that way. You always drop a few shots, and that's what sometimes makes it fun. Um, but we got a couple shows coming up. We Like I mentioned a little earlier, we do a lot of corporate and private events. And that's not any different this year. We've got a couple um, public events for people in the Midwest. Um, we've got the Vortex Nation block party on June 22nd, I believe. Yeah, June 22nd. And then September 21st and 22nd, we're going to be at Missouri River Expo. And if you've never been to that event, it's in northeast Nebraska. It's at Ponca State Park. It's an amazing event for hands-on things. If you got kids... Bring them there. You can shoot everything from BB guns to uh, shotguns. You can throw axes, addle addles. It's just a. F- I enjoy going there, walking around and throwing um, different things that I don't always get to do day in and day out. We'll be performing there every day of the of the event, and and so come out and see us at one of those events. I just imagine Aaron walking through the crowd and grabbing an axe and throwing just it throwing at a crap. target, and then walking over here and he's got addle addle. Like, boom. <laughs> getting candy store to see that yes (laughs) that's awesome yeah so we'll make sure that we link up uh your guys's schedule uh and the website is gouldbrothers.com is that right brothers.com you can find us on youtube under the same name g-o-u-l-d our last name gould brothers um as well as facebook and instagram Cool. I, f- I feel like you guys could also have like a pizza company or something. <laughs> the yeah, Gould, could, the Gould I, brothers. No, that's racist. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. <laughs> it seems like it. <laughs> so if the shooting thing doesn't work out, then maybe can you make pizza? To- <laughs> I like to eat pizza. <laughs> that's half the battle. <laughs> you know what you like. <laughs> well, Aaron, do you want to stick around for uh, the wildlife word segment? Sure. Speaking of people, this will blow your mind. <laughs> who's the what? Who, who's bringing us the wildlife word segment this week? Well, the wildlife word segment is brought to you <laughs> by I don't know no <laughs> nobody. Aaron Gold, the Gold <laughs> yeah, Brothers. The Gold Brothers, nice job. <laughs> the check will be in the mail. Right? You really had me thinking. I'm like, do we have a sponsor? Looking at my notes. Looking at my notes. <laughs> so, so speaking of pizza. It's brought to you by DeerCast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's that's our default sponsor. So the word is mycelium. You guys ever heard of the word mycelium? No, but the other day when I was hanging at Elk, I thought the rack was going to hit mycelium. Oh, Jeez. <laughs> Do we have to keep... Can we just stop the show? That, that was good. Do we have it. to keep doing the show, guys, or can we just... Whatever. Aaron... Pretend like you laugh at that part. <laughs> but you see, it's funny because 
<laughs> what, what these guys don't realize is off the air, we were just talking about how we tell jokes that only we laugh at our mm-hmm. own jokes. Yep. Here we got it. <laughs> people people so, are seeing that. So what's your, what's your word definition today? So mycelium is essentially, so I'll, I'll read it, but it's essentially the root system of fungus. So a lot of people are, are collecting morels right now. It's the vegetative part of a fungus consisting of a network of of white filaments called hyphae. It's essentially the root system of fungus. When you have good mycelium, you typically have a lot more morels popping up. And under the ground, these things live and they're they're kind of dormant, but hmm. then mycelium pops up the fruiting parts of the fungus and that's what gives us delicious morels in the springtime. I see. Mycelium. Now you know, Aaron. <laughs> I learned something new today. Hey, there's some <laughs> productive aspect of joining us on the show today. Oh, let's not go that far. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so we'll make sure that folks can find you uh, social media wise, and uh, and 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 obviously your guys' videos are in Deercast. It's all like the best of 2018 stuff. That's what we're showcasing in uh, in Deercast. So. I would highly recommend looking these guys up. I had first started seeing their videos in well Winchester because they're partners with Winchester, and I follow Winchester's social media yep. pages. Um, I was always seeing their videos pop up. I honestly like the first you know, a few times I saw it, I'm like, man, you know, what, what's the deal with these, these guys are freaking awesome. Yeah. And, um, it was just, it was, it's been neat to be able to meet these guys and, and know them on a personal level and, and see kind of their story and, and hear their story of how hard they work to get to where they are. But I'd highly recommend for an entertaining follow to go check these guys out and subscribe to their channel on YouTube. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and make sure that you've registered for the farm giveaway. That's still in effect. That's right. This month, um, by the time this airs, are we still in we're May still, or are we in Still June? the Morel. Still, yeah. still in May. Still the Morel Target giveaway. Do we want to leak what the June... Yeah, sure. It's lacrosse prize package. Yeah, and it's a pretty good one, actually. I mean, it covers every season, if I recall, right? Boots and waders and pretty yeah. much anything you want to do outdoors, they're going to cover your feet with this package. Yeah, so you just all you got to do, it's simple. We've said it before. Head over to DeerCast. If you don't mm-hmm. have the DeerCast app, download it. We're getting closer to deer season anyways. We got all kinds of cool stuff coming up in DeerCast that we're getting ready to unveil this summer. And uh, it's as easy as... It's literally a five-second deal once you get in there to, to register and you registered for the farm giveaway, you registered for every monthly prize. And, um, we got some happy winners so far. We just had the RTP, uh, groundbreaker three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mike up delivered, in, uh, up in central Il- or up in West central Illinois, I should say, got the groundbreaker three and he's, he was boy. elated, man. Well, <laughs> he was elated. That was awesome. <laughs> he's very excited. Very, is someone that'll really appreciate and put that thing to good. News. Absolutely. He talked about bringing like Hooking up to his ATV and pulling it through his little town's uh, annual parade. <laughs> now that's being proud <laughs> of a farm implement. to the people. Yeah. Throw candy from it. So these prizes are real. We're really giving them away. Not to mention all the other stuff that we have have happening on the farm that we're giving away itself. They just stocked the ponds. They they literally went in and stocked all the ponds uh, just a week or two ago, and um, we did a, a evaluation, a timber evaluation. So we and we filmed all these pieces. They're going to be coming up in the app in the farm giveaway section, and so we're going to tell you how much the timber's worth. Uh, the the show you the the 
Stock in the Pond segment. And then I think we're going to have a realtor come in, a land specialist come in and give us a evaluation on what, what the actual ground is worth. So now that we've done all of the improvements. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, it's, it's, it's a cool deal, man. And, 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 and like I said, it's as easy as one, two, three. So check it out. One, two, two three. three. Why don't we shut this thing down? Let's do it. All right. Thanks for watching everybody. Peace. 